Warning. The following podcast may cause you to change your understanding of what it really means to be a human being. Side effects may range from a minor loss to complete annihilation of ego, a feeling of merging with something bigger than previously conceived, and a deep, abiding peace. Please, continue at mortal risk to yourself as a separate entity. Welcome. Enjoy. Greetings, 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 all one-time live listeners. Welcome to episode 44, recorded on the fourth day of the fourth month of 2021 with uh, A.R. Ilvis, a friend of mine who I met just a few years ago under a magical apple tree with my wife on an island outside of Estonia, and uh, we connected brightly immediately and have remained in contact ever since talking philosophy and personal growth and understanding. Uh, Einar has a, a fantastic uh, recall for specific books and names and authors and uh, sources of information as, as well as the, the details therein of the construction of ideas and philosophies. He's a uh, what's called a social pedagogue on this part of the planet. Um, it's equivalent to something like a social worker, uh, and and he's uh, it's it's a bit broader than that, but that's perhaps closest for native English speaking audiences. And he's a youth counselor, um, and he is a person who's putting into action his his caring heart and interest in understanding. He draws from sources of psychology and philosophy and spiritual modalities, um, and he's he's applying those through his own direct experience to what he calls seeking the gold, uh, so he can, through his own experience, uh, share those in a way that he's moved to guide the people that he works with uh, to find their their purchase to be more stable. Um, and to, to have better health and an outcome. He talks about how we are creatures of uh, using tools as human beings. So it's really only of interest to find those tools which are useful and apply those. I'm inspired by the dedication and commitment that Einar has in, in helping uh, the youth that he works with. And I know because uh, during <laughs> many of our video calls, he had done it on a break uh, while working that the kids uh, that he works with really admire him as well. So before we get into this conversation, uh, which is, is quite full, take this moment to take a breath and settle into this present space. Allow those thoughts that may be demanding some attention to relax, knowing that they'll be there when necessary. Right now, they may not be so necessary. Maybe they're never necessary. And we, we talk at some point in this conversation about uh, 
the usefulness, the utility of thoughts and uh, versus being, you know, checking in with your body and being in that spatial presence. And I, I didn't say this during the conversation, but I thought, you know, I <laughs> recently I'm as much as possible trying to maintain awareness in that spatial presence. And I wonder uh, if there's any detrimental effect to not having so many engaging thoughts in the meantime. I'm a living experiment. I'll have to find out. But it is a peacefulness, and it does allow for, enables, for me, a more focused concentration, uh, deeper listening. I'm not having a thought that I, I must say, you know, a thought like that may come up. And if the moment is there to share it, it's shared. And if not, I let it go. And it may come back later if it's appropriate, and it may just go permanently like the one I just shared now, but here it is. It just came back is, is my commitment to trying to always be physically present, a detriment. That was a thought. And now it came back. But anyways, allow those thoughts to, to rest and enjoy this conversation. I'm so glad that I was able to connect with Adar before laying down season one. As always, love yourselves genuinely and love others. Extend that love in all directions and in the space of joy, enjoy this conversation. Here you go. No sound. Oh, it's coming in, I think. Now it should work. Nope. You can hear me now? Now I can, yeah. Oh, awesome, awesome, Blossom. Good morning, or good afternoon. Good afternoon to you too, Mr. Jenkins. Yeah, good good quality. Mm -hmm. Are awesome. we right on time? So, uh, we are, actually, yeah. We are. We're we, even maybe a minute early, I think. Super um, punctual. We are punctual. So, uh, are you already recording or? Yeah, uh, yeah. But we can, we can, you know, I can edit out no, stuff. It's, it's actually whatever. fine. Yeah, yeah. Let it record. Uh, anyway, you can you can edit edit it afterwards. Um, and uh, yeah, like I think it's I think it's better if it if it's already recording even. I always start it that way. Nice. You got your water. Good. I do. Yeah, it's important to stay hydrated. Mm -hmm. Are you, uh, what floor are you on? I'm I'm on the first floor. Um, okay. I'm actually at Isadora's place. Um, um, my girlfriend. Uh, do you want okay. to see her maybe? She's sure. right, yeah. right next to me here. Say hello. 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 <laughs> nice to meet you virtually. He's, he's Ken, he's the dude I talked to you about living in Stockholm. Mm -hmm. Ken, we are at one point when this all blows over, then we are going to come visit you. Cool. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think we've had a long-standing plan for that. Yeah, and yeah. life yeah. has intervened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, look forward to it. That'll be great. Awesome, awesome. How's the weather in uh, in Stockholm today? Well, it's it's uh, sunny, but uh, on the colder side, it's like four or something, and it's supposed to maybe snow tomorrow, which is cool. Uh, I like that. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful here today as well. Uh, so, cut the following sequence. Uh, cut the following up. Hmm. But I don't know. Maybe we should just like start with um, with uh, conversation today. Um, did you um, did you think like what we are uh, what we should talk about specifically? Did you? plan anything or are we just going to go and see where it goes no i mean i've got a pretty rigid structured plan which is to be without agenda um (laughs) and uh and and trust the flow awesome you know as i said in our last conversation every time we talk it's like a, a bouquet of of beautiful you know insights and sharing and uh so you know i i trust it'll go that way and i think you know, I, I may have a few things I want to ask you about, but I have a feeling we'll go there anyway. So I'm just going to leave it open. And that's typically how it goes. A lot of times I'll have a list um, when I do an interview and I'll let it flow. And then during the course of the interview, like they'll come up almost as if there's, you know, that that message is being transmitted to you somehow um, or to the to the person I'm talking to. And, and it influences where they go. Yeah. One time, I had a chance to meet uh, a traveling guru, and he was being hosted by a professor from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee who taught uh, at some higher-level mathematics in the engineering, math, and science area of the school. And uh, my roommate had her as a teacher, and we had met her before. I had been interested in Hindu mysticism, and she was of a Brahmin caste, uh, and we had had some philosophical discussions before. And so we were extended an invitation to meet this man when he came for dinner. And it was really an honor. And so I had prepared, like, uh, we we were able to meet, like, on -on one-on-one with this guy and could ask him, you know, some questions. So I had a notebook and I listed a bunch of questions, big, important questions that I wanted answered. And when we got there, it was very formal like he was really treated with reverence and respect and, and almost some pomp and circumstance in a way. And, and then I was told, or we were told that we could ask him one question. And I was like, oh man, what one question, you know, when I look through my notebook, just one page, maybe I had 15, 20 questions, but like, which one am I going to ask him? I forget what the questions were. And I forget what the question was that I asked, but what happened was I asked him this one question and he answered it and then there was a slight pause and then he went on and answered like all of the other questions that i had which was amazing so you know that kind of thing can can somehow happen yeah yeah i i believe so too like the things uh, needed to be talked about are probably being talked about here but let's let's start with this is a classic this is a little tool um what how did you start your day today um, well, I started my day with anxiety. Like this is actually uh, one of the um, 
ways I have started my days um, for quite some time now. Like, um, well, it's getting better, but like um, I used to be, like when I was younger, I used to be completely free of anxiety. And I, like a few of my friends had it, like when I was in my early 20s, like few of my friends already had it. And for me, it was just such an like foreign term. Like what, what does it mean, anxiety? Um, but now, like during the, in the recent years, I've become more and more, um, um, I know it better. And now I know what anxiety is, I think, because I feel it quite often. And, uh, and so like today was not different in that sense that I also had this um, irrational emotion inside me. And that's actually how it's been for, uh, for the past few months, at least. Well, actually, it was quite heavier like before like as i said uh in the beginning that the last year was quite tough for me uh so but then i was able to i don't know i uh mm, i kind of buried myself in work and in studies and uh, whenever i ha had the opportunity to feel what's going on inside my body then i just didn't and there's something or i just like kind of um tried to avoid it i i found any any means necessary to avoid it but now I don't want to avoid it anymore because like there are uh, some really great things happening in my life and um, and uh, now these things matter so uh, so um, I think I've um, opened myself kind of up to the experience because one of the philosophical standpoints that I approach these um, these emotions in me or in others is that they uh, the first step towards working through them is the acceptance um and uh well and that's kind of what i'm trying to do everyone's well at least when i when i get these uh get these strong emotions like uh, i usually have um these at night and i've also talked to my my therapist about it like um like you wake up at night or before you go to bed before i go to bed yeah it's uh, and and my therapist uh, told me that uh, that this is it's because that uh during these uh, late hours i'm i don't i'm not so much in control so it's easier for these things to come up um during nights though like i found that it's um like it's the actually the same thing as i as i did yesterday like uh i did i i um i didn't uh, get to sleep like um i didn't fall asleep i had this kind of this anxiety or like something's going on inside me um, what I did was I just kind of started to listen to some like instrumental music and I felt into it and um, and I gave it like close attention and I inquired about it and I, I, I let it I let the emotions speak so to say and um, and like when you well I've experienced it again and again like when you really feel into it uh, it gets lighter and it as if gets like integrated into you again or like it's um it gets better when you feel into it um but sometimes like um, it, it's almost as if i don't have the will to deal with it um and then i still like i try to uh, avoid it or uh, i will try to point the finger and protect it to uh, um somebody else and uh uh so like that was basically the way that i i started my morning today with with some anxiety if i had been on my own like if i had been at home what i would have done is i would have done the usual routine that actually helps um 
and I be I believe that if you if you if you are um, struggling with um, with any 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 kind of anxiety or anything, then the strong routine, strong healthy routine, is something that definitely helps. And usually when I'm at home and I encounter those sorts of feelings, what I do is that it, as soon as I wake up, I start to feel into those things. Um, I these emotions usually tell me the 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 thought process that's actually going on on my mind like when i'm when i'm when i get uh, conscious of these emotions then i usually also notice the thought process that come with it usually they were negative thought process and then one of those things i try to do is i try to uh, um, argue with these thought process kind of like because they don't uh, abide the logic like every time you actually closely um, notice the thought process the processes that come with these um, unconscious um, negative emotions, then you quite quickly you discover how actually these thoughts that come, uh, come with it or the thoughts that actually might produce the feeling that they, uh, they don't uh, follow logic and they are very easily, uh, um, they can be argued against actually easily, but it's when I have the time and space to do that. Uh, um, when you successfully keep going, sorry. Um, and then usually I go for a run, for a jog. That really helps. It's definitely something that, uh, like physical activity, is definitely something that uh, that really like um, helps. And uh, I've also done some research into it. And there is this new great book uh, written. Uh, I don't remember the name at the moment. I'm gonna send it send it to you afterwards. Uh, but basically, what the book uh, talked about uh, was the effect of physical exercise, especially running. On your general mood and like your cognitive ability and they they did some experiments on people uh who were like 60 plus um like older people a bit and then they um created this routine that the, per, the people had to 60 plus there were two groups one of them one of the groups had to walk half an hour every day um in the morning and in the evening and then there was the other group who did not have to do that and and what was discovered was that that, uh, that the brain did not only stop aging but it actually became younger in the in the process yeah like uh, and also like uh, some years ago i listened to, uh, i listened to a ted talk that was talking about uh, exactly the same thing and it was also during the time the time when i when i myself struggled with depression and uh, the ted talk talked about how um, basically there was one woman there who was a psychologist and a neurologist and she said that running is the main thing to to tackle uh, depression and that's actually how I uh, dealt with my depression that I first of all I changed my environment um, because I don't believe that you can fully heal in the same environment where the injuries in which you were injured um, and so I changed my environment. I became physically active. I started to journal. And so I still use these methods. And, uh, and uh, like I still have strong faith in that they work. Um, and I do feel uh, the effect that they have on me, especially when I have the time to do it. But the thing is that nowadays I kind of have to do those things every day, which is in, in one way it's good because I am, um, I am kind of, inclined to live a healthy lifestyle i have to move a lot i have to meditate i have to journal i have to do like if i procrastinate or if i do something useless then it's uh, easy for me to get anxious about uh, stuff so but 
like today in the morning, um, I did not do all of those routines. And uh, with one other thing that really helps is to uh, is to talk talk about the anxiety. Um, this is like an excellent way, especially yeah. if you can talk about with uh, someone who actually cares. And so um, in the morning, I was able to talk uh, about it with Isadora, and she's mm-hmm. an excellent listener, and uh, I feel very lucky. What is it about her that makes her an excellent listener? Oh, well, because like, it's a very good question, actually. Uh, it's, uh, I feel that she listens and she does. Like she does not listen with an intention to uh, answer, but she listens with an intention to understand. Um, and uh, like, we've all spoken to someone who is actually not listening and you can kind of feel it, you know, you, you, you can feel that your words aren't going anywhere, but with her, it's uh, it's very apparent for me that she is actually listening, and this is something that I've uh, I've been surprised about because like uh, I talk a lot, I do talk a lot, and like my 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 speech can sometimes be erratic because like I have this uh, I'm very high and trait openness, so I get all of these connections with, with in regards to the subject uh, that I'm talking about, and she is able to follow me like easily for me it seems, and uh, well that's also like something that. Uh, gives witness to me that she is actually listening. Um, Did you say you're very high in trait openness? Trait openness, yeah. What is that? Like it's the, uh, there are basically, um, it's the big five uh, personality trait system um, that's been used in uh, uh, in psychology. Um, I don't remember quite clearly about all of them, but there was this, Trade openness, and then the opposite of that was trade conscientiousness, if I spelled it correctly. Um, it's uh, there has been some research done into like what is the best predictor for uh, political views, and for example, like one of the few things that actually had an actual correlation between was the uh, temperament and personal traits. For example, people with very high and trade openness. They tend to be also high on trait neuroticism, kind of. This uh, something that happens with them, but they lean to the left side of the political sphere usually. And this is like it's one of the best predictors. Um, uh, it was on uh, uh, political views, uh, or exactly like what your uh, what is your uh, main personality trait like. And and then on the other edge of the spectrum was the people who are very conscientious. Um, they usually be, are the ones who lean a bit to the right. Um, they're very conservative. They place things into boxes. Um, everything is really tidy in their homes and everything is packed like, and they know where everything specifically is. And, uh, and uh, yeah, but like there has to be this constant dialogue between those two. It's, it's not that one of them is correct and the other one is wrong, but, you know, sometimes these conservative systems, they tend to become corrupt and uh, like they, Usually the social systems, they become old at one point. And then, well, every big system has the tendency to become corrupt. And that's where the where the people with this um, from the left side kind of step in. And they are the ones who uh, revolutionize things and they bring in some good ideas. And these two sides are always kind of opposing one another. And that's the whole polit- political dance. And But the main thing is that uh, this has to be going on constantly so that uh, that uh, the order does not get too corrupt and uh, 
and that there is order in general. Like, for example, if it would lean too much to the left, then like we would uh, give away our, our traditions and, uh, and uh, well, but, but we need this structure in which we can function properly because we need, um, we need kind of those boundaries because like when you look around the world, um, you are always being uh, kind of um, directed by your motivations and your values and everything. And these are very, very necessary for you. Like, because if you would not have any motivations or values, uh, then you will get lost because the world is so immensely complex. Like there are so many things to notice. Um, so that the, the fact that you have like values and uh, you can direct yourself um, in some boundaries, that's what gives, uh, well, the structure in which to develop and it also brings with it uh, safety to develop. Um, so like, and that's the, um, that's the, uh, like the, system we are trying to uphold by having this constant dialogue between the uh, between the ones who want to revolutionize stuff and between those who want who want to keep things as they are so if you are high in trait openness does that mean that you are noticing more of the myriad of things that are happening in the world all those many things that there are to notice or how does that influence sort of your your stream of expression when you're when you're talking a lot as you said uh, well, yeah, if if, um, if you are higher in trade openness, like um, what I've read about is that also like creativity comes with it, kind of um, like the inclination to be creative. And that is also that is expressed in the way I speak, because like that's kind of the way my, my mind works. Like if I think of something, I get like connections with it. And that's basically what the definition of creative creativity is that generating something else from something that is given um, and well the, also what what's important to mention is that like uh, create creativity can be useful and useless um, useless is to create creativity when you well yeah you will bring up connections with uh, with something that is given but the connection does not have any utility then that's kind of it can be said that it's creative in a sense but it's not really creative because if it does not have any utility then yeah what's the what's the use of it but like the, if you um well the and the other side of the uh side of it is that like when you're able to become up with the creative uh, or like this um Mm, well, when you talk about something and you bring in some other subjects that kind of um, connect with it and also support giving your uh, point across, then that's creativity that has some utility. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah. Yep. So when uh, when she listens to you and you have someone that is a good listener, it it I imagine. I mean. For me, it's like, it's almost like with this podcast, I'll, especially with the earlier episodes that I did solo, I would listen to those again and again, not over and over and over, but I'd listen to each one once or twice. And it was like to hear my own thoughts reflected back at me, helped me to understand them better. And yeah. uh, in, in having someone that's a good listener and you are able to articulate in a meaningful way, you know, with, with all the different creative supporting mechanisms, is it helpful for you to understand the anxiety that you're expressing? Uh, yeah. 
Of course, of course, yeah, it's yeah, it's immensely powerful, honestly. Like to have somebody who is a very very good listener, and I'm um, thankful to her for that every day. Um, because like we organize our thoughts when we speak, first of all, like that's, and we need to speak to something, you know. That's that's why it helps us to organize our thoughts much better when the person. Um, on the receiving end of our words is actually listening. And, mm. Well, it's I think also it's something to re- in relation to those mirror mirror neurons that we have that we actually can sense if the person is listening or not. You know, like this, like we have uh, we're equipped to sensing others and uh, and uh, yeah, the, actually the knowledge that we we organize our thoughts by speaking, like we uh, we decide what to forget, we decide what is important things set themselves in order kind of this, uh, gave me a completely different viewpoint like before I think I'm a pretty good listener and uh, and the people quite often they come and they talk to me like it has even happened with uh, with uh, completely random strangers on the street and uh, and uh, and also like my mom she always wants to talk to me and at one point I was like it, it kind of um like it felt tiring or I did not, well, I did not fully understand like why, like does she speak to me that much or like um, it, it was, it was funny because it, it, in a sense, it sometimes annoyed me, but then like at one point when I understood that she's actually organizing her mind, and I was like, oh, all right, cool. That's fine. Yeah. She can speak and I will listen. Um, so yeah, like we don't, uh, we outsource our sanity. The idea that, uh, that like when you're isolated, you will go pretty insane, pretty fast. I think like that's why uh, uh, in in prison one of the toughest punishment is to put into the isolation cell because it's really really rough, and it makes sense that we maintain our sanity in relation to each other because like we get those cues all the time. Like uh, this is something that I've also discovered uh, uh, in relation to my friends. I have excellent excellent friends. Um, I'm, I feel very, very blessed uh, because of that. And, uh, and well, one of the things that I've discovered was like, especially during the end of the last year when I was going through this a bit tougher time, uh, then um, I, I, I noticed that when I, 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 I wanted to spend quite some time on my own. Uh, well, it's something that uh, happens when you feel kind of really depressed or like sad. It's natural that you want to uh, go on your own, but it's, it can be beneficial for you, but it also can be detrimental for your, uh, it can create this positive feedback loop and you will just spiral and spiral and spiral and spiral and you get more antisocial and, and it does not help. But what I discovered was that um, I, uh, when I was on my own, I got, I got those all sorts of like different weird anxious thoughts and perceptions about myself. Um, and every time I went to my friends, um, like, I felt how just interacting with them um, kind of uh, in doing that, I regained my um, um, my mental balance. Like um, I was able to sort my thoughts out. I was able to perceive myself better because we like we we get a sense of who we are by those social cues we get from other people. Like when you say something, you know, oh, doggy, is there a doggy next to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's Mando. He was he was making a little noise, so I signaled him to come over here, and he's oh, happy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. 
Uh, so yeah, like we get those social cues from from people all around us. Like when you say something uh, that is stupid, like then the people will frown. And uh, when you say something bad about yourself, then a person who's with you and loves you is like, yeah, well, maybe you should not think that. Then you, well, this, this is how you kind of understand yourself better. Yeah. So, sometimes it can be it can be difficult for us to um, understand ourselves when we are isolated. Um, well, what 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 helps then when like whenever you find yourself isolated, as now, for example, like uh, many people maybe can't physically meet um other people and uh and if you um don't have no one to talk to even on your phone well which is also something that uh, can happen like there was this new research done in the states um i don't remember the exact numbers but it was basically something that like like um a very big portion maybe it was the 70 percent or 70 percent of adolescents they don't have uh they they said in that research uh, or they were questioned and they said that they that seventy percent of them they don't have a good friend they don't have one they even don't have one person who would who they would call their friend and uh, that's uh, that's something that is uh, that is very like dangerous because we all need at least one person to talk to um, but if you don't have a person to talk to then one of the things you can do is write write and write like write a lot like this is it's a sophisticated way of thinking and i think it's even better to write than to uh to um just speak into the air because like you really articulate the thoughts and uh, the things you've been through um like for example um now on my path of uh, getting back to my own self like one of those things i do is i write and actually i do one of one of those, um, uh, there is this uh, package. Well, it's self-authoring program. It's created by Jordan Peterson, and it's excellent. I would uh, recommend it to anyone listening. Um, basically, what you have to do in that is that you have to divide your life, your previous life, into epochs, and you have to write about each of those epochs. Uh, you then you will divide those epochs in. Uh, uh, well, divide. Your life into epochs and then in each of those epochs you write about five or six um meaningful things that happened to you during that time like uh, meaningful strong experiences um you write about positive things you write about negative things and it's very very beneficial and like after you've done that after you've written your autobiography then what you do is you uh, you write about your strengths and weaknesses you write about your five of your strengths and five of your weaknesses, and then you write a plan. Uh, what would you like your life to look like in in five years? Uh, and they they tested it uh, the program on on university students and the dropout rate in uh, uh, like the dropout rate plummeted mm. um, when uh, when the students uh, used it because it's um, it's well. We are like organisms who uh, have values and we are mobile creatures and we move constantly, but we, we don't get anywhere if we don't aim and if we don't know who we are exactly. And that's what the writing thing really helps. Are you writing helps. every day? Or journaling? Um, um, I, I try to journal every day. It depends. It depends on a day. Actually, like if I'm on, like 
well, most of my days are fine. Um, like I sometimes have this anxiety and, and, uh, and when I do, I'm, I will, I will work on it. Like one of the worst things you can do is, is you can push your anxiety down or to, to pretend that it's not there. Like when it disappears, when it disappears, where do you think it goes? Like, did it just poof, poof gone? Oh no, it, 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 it's not like that. It goes, um, somewhere. And, uh, and when it's, when it's in your conscious awareness, then that's the time to, uh, work on it. Because I think that if you, if you feel into it and if you write it out, then you process it. Um, That's really key is when, when you are struck with that anxiety, with that difficult feeling that you may have a tendency to want to ignore or put your attention elsewhere, um, distract yourself. That is the time that you should actually sit with that difficult emotion and, and focus yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a bit of a dog situation here. His favorite toy is a very, very loud squeaky ball. And he has now smelled it because it was, it was behind me. I was hiding it and he's, he has some determination to get it. Um, but I, I think I've thwarted him for the moment. Uh, and so it's that, I think that's really key what you just said, you know, when you have like, you know, do you journal or do you go through that process? And, and certainly you do when you are feeling those difficult feelings and that is the time to do it, to journal or to sit with it, not to distract yourself from it. Mm, when you do uh, those exercises and you, like you talked in the beginning about the self-inquiry or the, or the sort of um, the, the challenging of the thoughts that might come up, uh, an interrogation of those ideas, you know, how sound are they? And they, they don't stand up well to that kind of questioning when you've done that, uh, how, how long does it take until those same thoughts start to go away or, or stop or. It really depends, you know, um, it depends on the, on the base fear that's underlying those negative thoughts. Um, when you get to the base fear, like sometimes you notice that it's so really absurd to be scared of that. Um, and then it's very easy. Like then almost instantly the, the thought disappears. Like the process is kind of that you, that you write about, uh, you write out what you are feeling in the moment. Uh, then you ask yourself, why am I like feeling this emotion? Um, then your mind probably gives you an answer because that might happen. Um, and then you should ask yourself like, um, like what would be the uh, worst thing about when that would happen? And like when I, when I've done the self-inquiry and, and those kinds of questions, you can basically you can basically ask any questions you want to, but it's almost as if you are uh, uh, communicating with uh, like this sub-personality or this, uh, well, this is also like the Freudian point of view, it's your human psyche that we, we are, um, so to say, um, um, full of these different spirits kind of like, this is something that Freud and Jung, they both both talked about and uh, um, and they talked how the how you gain balance if you are the if you are the main guy in your own psyche. Um, but the way to do it, uh, the, to, the way to get there is to integrate those parts, which means that you should not suppress them, but you should step into a dialogue with them 
and find out more about them. And uh, the best thing to do it is to write those things out. And you can even ask the emotion, like, what do you want? What is your purpose? Um, what are you um, here to teach me? What are you here to teach me? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, well, and this, this is like a psychological approach to it, um, to, to in, do some inquiry about those thoughts. There are other options as well. Um, one of the teachers that I really like, he thought about uh, like this, this pure self-compassion, uh, which is actually, I think it's useful. Um, I've also, um, yeah, I'm gonna talk a bit about the self-compassion exercise um, that I've done and that really helps, but like the self-compassion exercise has to come with a decision. Um, you kind of have to draw this uh, sand in the line and you have to step over it and you have to um, decide for yourself that, uh, that I will not punish myself anymore of those things that I feel and that I, mm. that I am compassionate and loving towards myself. And after that decision, then the self-compassion really works really well. Mm. Like I found out that it works better when you've done that decision, when you've even maybe, maybe written it down like a pledge that I pledge to care for myself, be compassionate towards myself. Because like at the end of the day, all of those things you feel, they have their like um, reason. Like they're not there, like, like they seem irrational and they often are like, especially because they react to things that are not actually threats um, and they perceive um, yeah, monsters where there are none actually. Um, and if you, um, so it's that where it's very easy to uh, get into conflict with those emotions because you're like, why why do I feel that way? It doesn't make any sense. And then you get mad at yourself that you that you feel that way, and then it it just gets worse and worse. But like after you've done the decision to to write whatever basically comes up in my in me, uh, I will show it compassion. And when you do that, it really works. But that kind of predicates that every once in a while. Uh, you might be a bit socially awkward because like, uh, well, sometimes you might be at a gathering um, and then at one point you might feel like this emotion come up. And what I've done is that I've, I've usually like, when I used to do this practice a lot, I used to just put my hand on my heart. Uh, and then like, sometimes people might notice and then they're like, hmm, I wonder what's up with that guy. Um, <laughs> well, but like, yeah, it, it's the, that's the thing. Like when you pledge to care for yourself, you don't really give a shit about uh, what the, like um, what they might think because it's not important at all. Um, if you're if you take good care of yourself and if you fill your class by being compassionate towards yourself, then you are able to be much much better companion in a, in a social situation. And of course, what you can do is you can also go to the I don't know the bathroom for a moment, close the door, which I've also done. Like when I've I'm 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 usually pretty adequate. adequate. Well, I'm I think I'm good in social situations because I like to communicate with people and I get kind of energy from like uh, these social gatherings. Uh, but sometimes like when I, when I was really um, had this really good relationship with myself, then what I did was like when I was at a gathering at, at one point, I felt this like uncomfortable feeling. It, it could have been any, any reason for that. Like even, even for example, when I knew that I was supposed to like, um, well, for example, once it happened that uh, I was let, like, 
I was told that I will be giving a speech soon. And this created like an anxiety. And then uh, what I did was like, I knew, all right, I'm going to give a speech because this is something that I want to practice. Uh, and this is something that uh, I also want to talk about with you, why it's, uh, why it's um, uh, important to train yourself to use effective language. Um, and so thus I, 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 like when I'm offered the opportunity to speak publicly, I usually take it, even though I'm a bit anxious every time. Um, but anyway, like at this social gathering, I was offered the opportunity to speak publicly, uh, to give a short speech. I felt this anxiety and I did exactly the same. Like I, I went to the bathroom um, and I just like felt into it. Um, and like uh, when you first feel into it, you um, it might get a bit stronger, the, the anxiety. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And then Suddenly you can it's ask. louder and you're looking right at it. Yeah. It's right there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and then you like usually when anxiety hits you, it it kind of um, gets you in the chest. But when you uh, feel into it, you might notice it at other parts of your body, like in your stomach, um, uh, because like emotions are stored like memories in the body. Uh, this is something that uh, I think the name was Candace Perth. She was a neuropharmacologist from the states. She um, I think I said the term correctly, neuropharmacologist. Sounds good to me. All right, cool. Uh, she was um, in, the, in the 70s in the States. She did some research about how emotions are stored in, in the body um, and memories are stored in the body. Like, well, it makes kind of sense because we do have our brain here, but actually the brain, the nervous system goes all around the body. And, uh, and it was a really interesting read. Um, to say it briefly, it's basically like every time you have a very strong emotion, um, then like there are these, uh, in Estonian it's lipidid. I don't know, maybe it's lipids or something like that. It's basically these small particles that uh, travel between plants and they exchange information and they let, um, basically they are the messengers of the body and they exchange information. So you, like your body knows what's going on and every every time something really traumatic happens then you're like especially when you interpret it as super like something super traumatic then your plans will shoot those little particles out by the thousands by the millions and then uh, your body uh, registers that as a threat so it closes down a certain areas in your body mm -hmm. and that's how like these strong emotions uh, can be stored in the body and uh, well, also in psychology, I know they use these like methods, like you do certain physical exercises, you move a certain way, then those emotions come up front and then you're able to process it. And uh, so I think it's also one of the cornerstones of doing yoga, I think um, also like, well, in, in the yoga, yoga tradition, they even talk about it, like how sadness is stored in the hips hmm. uh, and how anger is stored in the hands. Uh, would make sense actually like because when you get angry your fists like you you clench your fists um but where was i going with it you see that's exactly what i told you about before that when i talk, start to talk some about something then i i go somewhere and i uh, i'm not exactly i don't know i was I'm... i was on the ride with you all the way and now i'm, I'm i have to go back on the tracks to find out where we were going oh, but yeah yeah, I, I basically emotions are stored in the body, and they're 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 um, it's 
it's possible to process those emotions by just uh, compassionately feeling into them. This is a process that might take some time. And this is something that I did last night. Um, like I had this, like this anxiety and whatnot come up again. And what I did was I was listening to music and I was just feeling into it. And it's, it's actually, um, hmm, um, it's, um, I'm using a specific frequency when I do that. It's the 528 Hertz music. Sure. You have an app yeah. for that, or or you sought that out on Spotify? Right. Or on Spotify, okay. Spotify, actually. Yep. Yeah, on Spotify, there there are really good, great quality um, sounds. Uh, and that like, puts you in a theta wave. Not really. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, in that sense, you do because like every time you meditate, you go into that brain length. Um, uh, kind I of. I know the five twenty eight, and there's four twenty four. Is there or four thirty two uh, or? I, I, this is uh, like to use binaural um, music to set yourself into a certain brain length. Uh, the, that approach is a bit different. Like they use binaurals to access those brain lengths easier by uh, by this method. At, at, in one year, they they play one specific frequency, mm -hmm. and into the other year, they play the other frequency. And then the difference between those those frequencies get you to the theta level for example yes, right. uh, but but also every time you meditate uh you also uh kind of get to that level of uh, get, you get to that state of mind anyway and this this really helps in in that sense i think because to process emotional body especially because you are not so like we live in our minds we overuse our minds uh, in that sense that we we mm, i think well we are consciously living in our minds um to big of a portion of the day like one of those things that uh, Eckhart Tolle has really talked about is the necessity of every once in a while just coming into your body and this is an excellent technique like one of the best grounding methods I think there is and every time you come into your body you you first of all like where, where the attention goes energy flows like you're you usually like notice some tensions that you have please relax a bit um, also, I think that it's way easier to, if you practice accessing your body, it's very easy to do that when, easier to do that when you need to get down there to process some emotions. And when I did that yesterday, like I, at first I was super tense and then I got into my body and I was listening to the music and, and you, it's, it's, it's weird, you know, like when you, um, yeah, basically you can approach processing your emotions or thoughts or the, the pain you've experienced two ways. You can either do it in your mind and uh, and deal with the thoughts that cause it, or you can do it in your body. And one affects the other. If you fix your mind, if you fix your thoughts uh, in regards to any emotional pain, then the pain should dissipate in time. At least it, it, uh, you, don't, you, you do not create any excess of it. Um, and that's what I've discovered. Like when I have these like um, toxic thoughts um, then I, when I feel bad, as soon as I fix my thoughts, the emotion kind of disappears. But the other way as well, like when I have those thoughts in my mind, and this is something that I like to use more, is when I get into my body and and get on the emotional level with myself and like get intimate with myself and get like really compassionate and like just like like basically you're dealing with with a child almost as if like. Oh, what's going on you know like uh, why, why are you in pain and then then like when you s slowly start to go through those nooks and crannies in your body like when those muscles release bit by bit uh then you at one point those thoughts disappear as well and that's something that i just uh, experienced last night that i i i had this anxiety i had some thoughts uh which which are basically like uh 
like when I strip those down thoughts down to the like archetypal representation of those thoughts, it's basically that like I'm being abandoned. Like that's the that's the blunt thought, which is irrational, um, and it has all of those branches um, that comes with it, and then they repeat in your mind. Mm, and well, basically, when I when I healed or when I dealt with uh, the emotional body, the emotion dissipated. My body felt safe. My nervous system calmed down because I don't think that you can really be clear when your when your nervous system is like inflamed, almost like upset. But you can calm it down by really getting present with it, you know. Um, yeah. And then those thoughts um, also disappear, um, and that's what um, what was going on last night. Um, yeah, but like one of those things, like. That I discovered was that it really gave me hope, you know, um, and and I think that hope is the most um, uh, important thing to get, especially when you when you made the decision to step over the line in the sand. You made the decision to, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get myself back together. You know, it's my life. It's, uh, it, it is my uh, responsibility. Um, I will do it. And then when you start doing these different practices if you start to write either or if you start to uh, do the feel like feeling into those things um uh, you will discover that uh, like well they might not work every time or at least you might not get the experience that things got better sometimes you do and uh, it, it was the same with uh, with me yesterday as well like i did it like half an hour i think and i felt like 20 minutes in i felt pretty good like amazing even and then the pain kind of disappeared and I kept giving compassion to myself. Like, it's all, it's all right, man. Like really <laughs> everything's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. That and, works. Uh, it's meaningful. <laughs> and, and the more you practice it, the better you get at it, the more it will come automatically. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. It, it, it should become as an instinct almost as if like every time you, well, it's an excellent instinct to have, I think like, mm. You don't hide. It's not that you're hiding, but every time something uh, happens, you get into yourself. You become present instantly, like, and it's a, it's a very good instinct to have, I think. And, and then instead you of, will be able to. Sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Keep yeah. going. Then you will be able to make better decisions, and uh, and uh, you're also able to heal. Um, yeah, like one of the things that I think it's important to understand, um, especially for anyone who is. Uh, trying to heal themselves is that like the burden that they have is well yeah it's their responsibility but it's not their fault mm. like uh, things that have happened to us uh, the pain that we have had to endure and the things that we carry with us it's uh, it's really nothing to be ashamed of um and it's nothing to um hurt ourselves even more about it like sometimes we might get really self-criticizing and oh why do i have all of this bullshit and then it's very easy or very very difficult from that point of view to do anything about it um i think that one very way very good way to relate to those things is um is um, well it depends on a person but sometimes it might be like to approach those things like impersonally like these are that they are not exactly your things that you are uh, um that you are now 
transmuting and fixing well because like when you've been hurt in life you've usually been hurt by people who have been hurt themselves you know hurt people those hurt people, people. exactly yeah and it, it started from somewhere and the hurt just travels yeah. along especially in the family dynamics like there is a lot of unconsciousness using in family dynamics mm -hmm. and then like you might be burdened by it at one point and and then you can decide if you are going to process it, it or if you're going to pay it forward but i would not recommend paying it forward and and that's one of the decisions that i have made in my life personally because like in my family there are um well there's depression in the family um there has been all sorts of uh, crazy things like we can choose um, the family in which we are born into. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I have decided for myself at least was that the pain stops with me. Like right when it gets here, all right, it, it, it gets here, but it does not, I will not pass it forward or I, I will do everything I can to, uh, to um, fix it in myself as much as I can. And I think that's, um, that's, already a pretty good purpose to have in life you know? if you don't have any bigger purpose then just have the purpose to deal with your stuff that needs to be dealt with there's suffering that's experienced in our genetic material that may be passed on that can be hereditary yeah. we can have a predisposition towards depression um, but yeah. there's also a critical voice which is learned and then repeated and practiced and we say it to ourselves and then like you said we may pay it forward and that just continues it uh, but if you take the decision to end the suffering uh, when it hits you it's about you know sitting with it facing it allowing the experience of it when it becomes a bit stronger to become stronger feel where it's at be aware that it, it may have a location in your body sit with it accept it embrace yeah. it you know and talk about it write about it but but know it continue to to face it and accept it not deny it not distract yourself from it but use that self-compassion to have some regard for it understand it what are you here to teach me why are you here um you know what happened and to give to keep giving yourself that compassion it's okay and and over time instead of making that that cause or that that um shadow self uh that sub personality an enemy or a monster uh just you know learn to understand it as a part of your being and love it accept it and when it shows up be like oh yeah you know that's you okay that's okay you know everything's all right yeah um, yeah and, and, and don't take it personally when it does show yeah. up yeah definitely like uh, this is something that my therapist um told me well, we did an exercise and it was basically in relation to jealousy. Um, well, we, we dug up in, in, my, uh, in my childhood and, uh, and one of the reasons for why I'm being afraid of abandonment is because I kind of were when I was a child. So now that really comes up and there is this like sub-personality, like this archetype of sub-personality that has now really become active. Uh, well, it became active uh, during my last relationship because it was really like a very toxic one, very, very tough. And I was not able to end it when I was supposed to. So then, like my psychologist um, described it, it, that the process happened in a way that, well, we dis discovered it together that I was not able to do the right decisions so that the sub-personality had to become super active because it, it, its purpose was to protect 
um, me. Um, and then we did a really cool exercise where I had to imagine this, like this sub-personality, this uh, force of jealousy and uh, fear uh, in the room with us. Um, I imagined it to be sitting behind me. Uh, then I had to um, kind of sit where it was sitting, to sit inside it. And then the therapist had a conversation with that part of me and, uh, and I had to embody it. And it was actually very easy to do it. Like I, I embodied the part, I kind of recognized it and I became it for a moment. And when I was the part, the sub-personality, then I also during that time had to, had to imagine uh, myself like Einar sitting in the, in the chair, in the therapy chair. And uh, the, uh, the psychologist asked me about basically like my opinion about myself. Like uh, it she asked the subpersonality's opinion about uh, Einar. And uh, like, I remember being super mad at myself. I said that I don't like him. I think he's weak. I think he does not make the right decisions and he just keeps on hurting himself. Uh, at the same time, the subpersonality was very confident. I remember while doing it, I was looking straight in, uh, into the therapist's eyes. Uh, it was like very, like I, I sensed the confidence that came with it. And, uh, and um, during this conversation, it was, it was funny, but like we, me and then the sub-personality, we were able to have a dialogue. Like it, it was able to clearly voice its goals and aims. And as it did that, I understood as Einar, like that it's not a bad thing in a sense, like it's now overactive and unintegrated yeah because my attitude towards it has been hostile because like uh well because it usually comes with this kind of this anxiety um so like we were really not on good terms with the part um and then um by the end of the session basically like what happened was that i understood the part better and the part understood me better as well uh, and we we became like well, not maybe friends just yet, but acquaintances, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, mm -hmm. we, we respected each other by the end of it. Uh, and that was a very important part because like, it's also, it's the, the, like our the therapist's purpose is not to get rid of that part. Like, and, and like the ego that consists of all of those different sub-personalities, we, when we do those practices, like it's very, very important as well to remember that our, our intention is not to rid ourselves of anything it's that we seek to understand and integrate. Yeah. We seek to communicate. We seek to be compassionate. Not to shame as, ourselves for having. Yeah, this, exactly. This. As, as soon as we shame yeah. the game's up yeah. and it's the, the, like we can't lie to ourselves. Like sometimes when I've even done the self-love practice and I've had the intention in the back of my head that I want to get rid of the pain, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. But like, but, um, but the self-love game works in that sense if you stick with it anyway because like when you get down to loving yourself and uh, those emotions that come up like maybe first 15 minutes when you are really insincere and you're actually doing it to get uh, rid of the thing and it will not work um then eventually you kind of like like at least what i've discovered in myself that when i do the work um and when i do it uh, insincerely at first it might happen that i do it, yeah, it doesn't work. But at one point there is the surrender. There's like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, like I kind of, I understand that I am not getting rid of it with that approach. Then there is this moment where I kind of surrender to it or um, 
not surrender in a way that I'm giving it the power, um, but it's more like um, I change my attitude um, and I open up to it a little bit and then I understand it and usually um, there is this sense of um, compassion that automatically comes with it um, and then it's easier to process it. So the you have to be like sincere when uh, when approaching um, these emotions, and if if it's impossible to be if it's impossible to be compassionate towards the things that go on inside you, it's completely natural because it sometimes it feels for us that it's difficult to be compassionate towards anything that we don't like, and it's only natural that you don't like these uh, emotions that go on, um, but then. At least what what's the next best thing is to just be aware of it. Like just give it this, like the space of your awareness to be in. Um, just give it attention if you if you can't give it compassionate attention. And at one point, this compassion might rise up by itself. It might, it might not. Doesn't matter. It's 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 uh, um, it's nothing's wrong when it uh, doesn't appear because it sometimes can be very difficult but just by giving it attention that's already a really 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 good thing to do um yeah and in general like every once in a while getting into your body when you do anything like once i was uh writing creating a project like i was one of the first projects in my life that i wrote uh, to european union i want to get some funding and i did get the funding eventually but the whole creative creative process um um i was every once in a while i became aware of my body because it was during the time i was reading eckhart tolle's the power of now uh, and there he recommended like uh, even he said that even if you do anything creative or when you just work every once in a while just get into your body like after every 20 minutes just like get into your body and then proceed with the work. And what I've discovered was that, like, you can really mm, sometimes you cannot think uh, yourself through the problems. Like, you have to get out of your mind because when you get into your body, I think you also free up your mind to for it to come up with its own solutions, um, also from the subconscious. Um, there is this. But I just remember there is this artist, there was this artist. Uh, he painted those abstract, Salvador Dali, I think. Oh, yeah. All right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. One of my very favorites. He's yeah. His creative process was that he was, um, the way, like, his paintings are surreal and abstract and like, like something out of this world. But the, his creative process was that uh, he just like sat down and he held. Uh, I think it was keys. He held keys in his hand and it just kind of let himself um, daydream. Uh, and like he got into this different state of mind, not so like actively thinking about stuff. And then when he uh, started to fall asleep, he dropped his keys and that's what woke him up. And then he remembered the things that he was thinking about or the things that were in his mind. And then he went to paint those things. Mm. Um, there was also Edison had a similar creative process. So like the idea that uh, all of our problems will find solutions in our mind are, is not, well, in that sense, it, 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 yeah, in, in some sense it's true, 
but um, but the way you operate with your mind has to be um, in a way that you also include your body and you uh, um, that you're you're smart with it and um, being smart with it means that every once in a while you um, change your uh, point from which you operate kind of you get into your body every once in a while and you get out of your mind for a second to let the mind come up, come up with uh, with uh, the solutions for um, your problems and I think that this method like um, can also be used in when dealing with uh, problems that you have your in your own life like even when you when you start to process some stuff like you usually need some space and you usually need some time because it's not like all right i'm going to sit down for half an hour and i'm going to fix this emotion it's that all right i feel that way let me just sit down and see what comes up and then you can do the self inquiry and you can just you can ask a question like from where does this emotion come from and then you can just like sit and see what comes up and it's one of the practices i used to do uh, some years ago that really helped me uh, really really helped me to um, to uh, fix some of the things i have not done it anymore um, i've thought about it but basically how the process is is that every time you feel a strong emotion or reaction um, it can be like during your day you don't have to react on it on the spot but what you do then is you go and uh, seclude yourself into a room for like at least half an hour or something like that and the process is that you close your eyes and you breathe in a way that as soon as you've done your exhale, you do your inhale, and as soon as you're, you are done with your inhale, you exhale, so that there is no pause in between. And it's it's not that you you breathe erratically, but it's just constant breath that really keeps you grounded in the moment. Then you feel in, into the emotion, and then you do the inquiry. You ask from the emotion, like, when was the last time I felt it? Um, then, like, you don't... You don't try to think up the answer. It's the, exactly the same. It's just kind of let yourself be there, take your time, then an answer comes up. It's a very similar to psychological processes, I think, as well. Like at least it's similar to, to some degree what we've done in therapy. Then when the memory comes up, when did you last? When was the last time you, you felt it? Then you ask the emotion, when was the first time I felt it? And then you mm. might wait a bit longer but it 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 does come up um and yeah i've used it with a few and it's every time surprising like oh my god like from that really uh like once uh what i remember like one of, when i was working as a therapist in uh, in one of the salons in in um, in thailand and then one of my friends wanted to visit me and uh, he called me um and he asked me directions and he i said that oh yeah it's it's uh it's the house in front of that house or something like that. And he said like, ah, oh, is it a small house over there? And I said, yep, the small house. But the, the, when he said small house, it kind of disturbed me. Like I felt like, uh, um, how can I say this? Like, like shamed, like that I'm working in a small house. And then I was like, oh, that's peculiar. Like why? That's weird. Uh -huh. And then I did, I did the same thing. I sat down, hmm. I uh, inquired into it. And eventually the memory that came up was like, 
my house is in a really, really beautiful place. Um, and like now we've built and added some to it. But like when I was younger, it used to be a smaller, smaller house. And um, and uh, in from a local school, classes made like their class trips basically to my home just to see the lakes I have there and and the freshwater springs. And uh, once when we went, I think I was in first grade when we went with uh, uh, with our class. Then I remember that like in that moment when I was doing the exercise, I remembered when we went there with our class. And then my my teacher told me that uh, that oh it's a very nice place but the house is so small and then uh-huh. like it yeah I am and that's uh-huh. where it came from I was like oh all right all wow. right and like when you are in that old memory mm-hmm. as a grown up then you completely like when it happens as a child then it's like this abstract something you can't really do anything with it because you don't quite understand you understand like it from a very limited perspective and it can hurt you but if you go there again as a grown up and it's completely different and like when you go into the memory then you can you can do a few things you can alter the memory you can uh, in a way that uh, well what i did was that i went there in the memory as a grown-up and i picked myself up picked mm-hmm. uh, up the mm-hmm. child self and i i said that oh, it's fine like don't worry about it and this mm-hmm. in that moment i kind of felt how this um how this uh, memory then was kind of healed and uh, uh, yeah, like so, this process has worked with me on a few occasions. Uh, now, recently, I have not done it because, like, um, exactly, I think the things that I am now dealing with uh, have been a bit bigger. So, I have looked for some help, and I'm going to uh, therapy now. Uh, but still, it's um, um, the I do um, similar things at the moment. I don't exactly inquire into it. Um, but we do very similar things with my psychologist. Yeah. So I, mentioned, I think it's necessary. Yeah. I mentioned to you uh, the last time we talked uh, that I would send you a link to this guy. And it's not that I forgot. I just, I, when I looked him up, there's so much to send. Gabor Mate, um, his name may be familiar to a lot of people, but uh, he is a psychologist and he his main understanding is that all of the anxieties stresses, uh, discomfitures that we have as adults, uh, most of them um, can be rooted to our, our first years, even, even from still when we're in the womb and, and getting the emotions of our parents, um, but up until around age six. And I, I just think that that's fascinating and interesting. And in order to uncover those, it requires this kind of of actual effort, not just to know about the effort, but to do it. And that's been, that's always a trick for me. Anytime I learn something new, it's cool to learn it and to know it in theory, but it's something completely at a, at a whole nother level to actually do it. And it requires doing it to, to really gain the benefit from it. Yeah. In this past year, more people have probably found themselves isolated than has been the case in a lot of our, our recent human history. And it's left a lot of people feeling isolated, et cetera, and dealing with a lot of those difficult emotions, especially when they're just on their own and they don't have like the group of friends in the beginning you were talking about, you know, how it's so important to be able to, to um, outsource your sanity, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to have that reflective uh, verification or validation of, of where you're coming from and who you are. 
Um, but a lot of these things you've been talking about are things that can be done in isolation and, and they're meaningful when you are experiencing these, you know, various anxieties, whatever they may be, however they may show up. Uh, you've talked about a bunch of different things that can be done in a, in a pragmatic, useful way, measure, you know, measurably or noticeably bringing change uh, and, and evolution and freeing up of, of the weights of dragging all that stuff around with us or, or, or shoving it away or whatever. Yeah. And it's worth it. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah. I think you really have, you concluded very well the things that we have uh, talked about thus far. Um, but yeah, what I wanted to say is that it's, it's worth it. You know, mm. I felt the effects and I still do like, uh, um, like I've been now trying to um, heal myself, I think for the past few months, because now I have some very good reasons to do that. And I do feel the effects like, and the effects are awesome. Like they are something like you just feel at ease. Like um, most of my days are good and they're really, really good. Like I feel, it's not that I feel like neutral, but I feel happy. Mm. And, um, and I, like when you start to communicate with yourself, the self also communicates back kind of mm -hmm. like, uh, and you, if you do that, you don't feel alone, even in isolation, you don't feel alone. Um, so yeah, like um, this building, this uh, relationship with yourself is one of the most, most important things that you can do. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth it. I heard a story in a TED talk. Uh, I forget what the, the subject was. Um, and I'm going to change it a bit here. I may have told a version of it, the version that I heard initially, but I'll, I'll just make it more personal. Um, so it's a story that goes something like this. Uh, I was going to go on a date and... Um, I was really excited to go on a, on a date with this girl and like, you know, made me feel really uh, hopeful and, and excited and, and the date didn't go so well. Um, and, you know, afterwards I called a friend and kind of explained what happened. And the friend said, well, you know, you've got braces, you've got stupid hair, your clothes are dumb. You've got nothing interesting to talk about you've got a stupid voice like you know you, you have no personality that any girl would be interested in like you know did they call his friend or his enemy give up well the the story was that it, now you know imagine everyone's oh, like what kind of yeah. friend is this but it's not exactly. that it was the friend it was yourself that's what you were telling yeah, yeah. yourself and it's just to illustrate how differently we will give compassion to someone else but mm -hmm. to ourselves, we have this like extremely negative, critical voice. And, and in and just like you said, even if you don't fix it, just the first step is to recognize it. If we can just simply recognize that at first, that can mm -hmm. be the first step to saying, oh, gosh, yeah, that's I'm pretty I'm really harsh on myself. Let's see if I can open up the door a little bit to give some compassion to myself the way I would to anyone else. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, um, yeah. I've 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 thought about I've thought a lot about uh, exactly what you said. That it's so easy for us to give compassion to others. Like it's very easy for me to love others. Like it is, 
and it used to be quite easy because I practiced for me to love myself. But nowadays, man, it's difficult, and it's it's it's. I think it's related to the fact that we are so fully aware of ourselves, and uh, and um, well, I've also analyzed it from the. There was this really good analogy in uh, uh, one of the one of the lectures that I listened to. Uh, where the professor talked about, um, he used um, Genesis from Bible uh, to create the metaphor. Well, actually, I think that um, I think that um, most of these stories that have been written down, um, in my uh, point of view, are rather. Um, stories that will help you to act um, that they are not stories that uh, show the factual world but they show how to act in that world but anyway he uh, analyzed the genesis and the world, or not genesis he analyzed when adam and eve were in the garden of eden and then they ate from the tree of knowledge and knowledge and suddenly they were embarrassed of themselves because God came down into the into the garden and uh, he wanted to see Adam, I think. And Adam was hiding because he was ashamed because he had eaten from the from the tree of knowledge. So he 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 became conscious, and uh, that was the like the burden of being conscious of yourself. Like and immediately some some shame might come with it, and uh, that's what happened to Adam. And he covered himself up, and then. God saw that and um, kicked him out from the from the garden eventually, and uh, and he said something like that to Adam that now you have the like you always have the future to worry about. You can never be uh, really calm. But like what that story encapsulates for me is that uh, oh shit. My battery died. Oh. oh, I can still hear you. I heard you swear even. Let's just take this moment while Einar is uh, plugging his phone in. Just a reminder, if you have any questions or personal stories to share or comments or anything at all, you can send an email to alloneTimeLive at gmail.com. AllOneTimeLive at gmail.com. Uh, we'll take a break for a second here and well, we'll be, we'll be back in a second as far as you know, too. Hello, did I meet you? Can you hear me? Yo. Yo. Hey, man. Sorry. That's cool. No worries. The last my thing I heard you died. say was, oh, shit, my phone died. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Uh, um, we were in the Garden of Eden and we were talking about how when Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, yeah. that, we, that basically he was ashamed. 
Yeah, he was saying because like I think it's like well one metaphor that you can derive from it is that like mm, like that's the moment where we became kind of self-conscious and um, aware of our vulnerabilities and aware of our like he was shamed in front of God. God is um, I'm um, talking about God in that context as an like this um, ideal, you know, like uh, this perfection um, that we should all strive towards, like um, like being compassionate and helping other others, and uh, well, also taking responsibility and uh, doing the work necessary. Uh, but yeah, I think that in in that moment, um, like they both became self-conscious and aware of their lack and aware that uh, of their um, uh, limitations and also how they uh, uh, well are nothing compared to the ideal, compared to the compared to God in that sense. Um, it made me think and, about knowledge. Like I haven't thought a lot about that i i was raised christian and familiar with the stories but i was also young and it was when i was older i think it was reading uh some toltec book like from the mexican uh native traditions maybe it was the four agreements that that it really was clarified that it was eating from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and as you're talking now, it's like, what is it about knowledge or, or certainly about the knowledge of comparative values that makes something good or evil relative to each other? And in the light of God, you know, I am, I am not worthy. I am evil. I am ashamed. I don't know. I, I don't have any answer. I don't have any particular point I'm making, except that it would just yeah. was an interesting thing to start to think about how the yeah. innocent mind that is not comparing those things hasn't, say, eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you're mm -hmm. in the grace of of God. Then you're you're cruising along. Things are in flow. You're not doing anything wrong. There's you know. You're but not you're useless. <laughs> you're also useless at the same time because you don't. Well, it's it's basically the state of. I'm not being sure about that, care. but I I, I want to follow you there. Go ahead. I, I don't. Neither do I disagree. I'm just not sure. But go ahead. Let's yeah go. well i well like if you would be like an animal then if you would not have the self-awareness the kind of the knowledge of good and evil then i think you like you would not have any values and you would yeah just like live for their immediate satisfaction without taking into consideration the society and the people and everything everyone else and the world we live in and um mm. and there well eventually um like one could argue that most values are uh, are uh, arbitrary you know but um well i could easily bring you uh one example of uh, a very concrete experience that is not arbitrary and all people are familiar with and that's pain like pain argues for itself it's the fundamental reality mm -hmm. and uh, by setting our goals and values appropriately, we are able to uh, minimize the pain that we have to endure in our lives. And that's, in that sense, a very good um, compass. Or like also in, uh, uh, like when we had our chat once, we were, um, 
we were talking about the creation myth of uh, Mesopotamians and how like uh, throughout these creation myths, like the, also the Egyptian creation myth and the Mesopotamian uh, creation myth and also the um, uh, Christian stories that are in some set derived from the Egyptian uh, creation myth, like how they all um, teach uh, modes of action and behavior like because like like when these stories were written down like there were no scientists then people perceived the world not as a uh, as a place for objects like we do now as scientific mind has evolved but it was a, like a forum for action there were some actions that brought prosperity peace uh, that were fruitful to the society and for yourself mm-hmm. and there were some actions that did the opposite you know and people noticed that and it was given forth uh, with uh, fairy tales like some of the oldest fairy tales are around seven or eight thousand years old i think uh i think it was around that time um maybe even ten thousand years old and also the mesopotamian creation myth is very very old as well like it's also um around uh, ten thousand years old and uh, and um Maybe we can we we can talk about uh, the Mesopotamian creation myth for a little bit and how they perceive the world and what uh, we can derive what value we can derive uh, from from the myth. Um, basically, the um, how Mesopotamians view viewed the world was as a dome, like they viewed the world as a disc that is covered with a dome and that has water under it. Uh, uh, clean water uh, at first and then salt water and also has water above it and well it it makes sense uh when you uh, think about it phenomena 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 phenomenal yeah say it again please phenomenologically phenomenologically thank you yeah. it's a very difficult word all right Hello so, like in that sense it makes sense because like the ancient mesopotamians when, when you when you are standing in the middle of a field you will see a disc around you basically whenever you look you see land um and then you see sky that kind of foams above you well that also makes sense and in in um and then sometimes it rains so there's water up there when you drill into the earth you will get clean water at first and then the salt water so like in Mesopotamian creation myth, the world was created when two uh, primordial forces, which was the salt water and the, then the clean water, they united. Then they uh, created uh, those, um, uh, uh, they, their unity, their union created those deities um, that then uh, roamed the earth. Um, what happened then? Then was that those deities killed um, their father. Um, uh, father is, uh, in that sense, like the order. Um, well, like the the balance of chaos and order, yin and yang, it's predicated upon in many different stories and and many different cultures, and also with the Mesopotamian story, like the world was created with the union of order and chaos. Chaos was the salt water order was the clean water one of one of them is masculine another one is feminine they both have their positive sides to themselves and the negative sides for example the positive side uh, of the masculine is the loving father um the negative side of the masculine is the 
is the corrupt king, for example, and it's the same with the feminine side, the caring mother or or uh, swallowing nature, you know, can well, also birth of something or like uh, complete chaos and uh, death. So it's it's uh, it's um, it's uh, like this re recurring story in uh, uh, or recurring archetypal uh, structure. How many uh, many many stories are kind of built, and also the Mesopotamian story. And what what happened in that story that those two sides united? They created those deities. Um, then um, uh, then uh, the, those deities killed the father, uh, which was basically. Um, in that sense, they killed the culture that they lived in. Well, then, if you kill a culture, if, if you tear down the culture that is built, then chaos will uh, will come back, and that's exactly what happened. The, the mother um, was very mad in that story uh, towards her children because they've been like just uh, being super impulsive and stupid and doing all of these crazy things anyway. And then eventually, they killed the father, his husband. So. She became super, super mad, and then she created these 11, 11 monsters. Uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, Kingo uh, was the name of the leader that she, she created. Um, and and then she basically um, created the army of demons to go and uh, destroy um, those deities, those. Uh, um, her children, or yeah, the... basically to, de right. to destroy her children because she was super mad. Um, basically, yeah, like careless uh, demolition of tradition causes the emergence of chaos, and uh, that's that's then what happened. Um, those deities were still uh, partying and having a time of the life, but uh, at the same time, the the chaos was moving towards them, um, wanting to uh, wanting to destroy them. Uh, one at a time, those deities tried to battle the chaos, uh, but um, it didn't work. They came back uh, until at one point um, they had an offspring, those gods, those deities that lived there. They had an offspring whose name was Marduk, and he looked peculiar. He had these qualities to him. First of all, he had uh, eyes all around his head. And second of all, he spoke uh, magic words. Uh, and then uh, they asked Marduk to, uh, to go and battle the, uh, the evil, the chaos that was coming towards, towards them. And Marduk said, yeah, all right, I will go. But then I have to be uh, placed uh, at the top of the dominant hierarchy of all the gods if, if I go and battle the chaos. Then the other gods were all right. Yeah, whatever you can, you can do that. So he went. Um, then he caught um, the the main demon, uh, whose name was uh, Kingo, uh, into a big net, and he uh, cut him to pieces. He scattered the pieces all over Mesopotamia, and from those pieces emerged the human beings. Uh, that lived in that society and then he was placed after coming back victorious he was placed at the top of the hierarchy and uh, after that all of the all of the rulers in mesopotamia had to embody marduk they had to embody the idea of marduk and what was uh, marduk exactly 
it was basically Marduk had the the capability for careful attention. Um, he as he spoke magic words. Um, the idea also means that basically, like with careful attention and effective language, and voluntary uh, con confrontation of chaos, you can restore order. And that was something that was uh, encapsulated in the Mesopotamian creation story already. And it's basically the same with the Egyptian story as well, like Horus, uh, who was the son of Osiris, uh, and whose symbol is the eye, which is like Egyptians uh, uh, really valued the, the power of attention. Also, I, I guess it might be the power of awareness. Uh, and like every time chaos ensues, what you need to do is you have to look, be able to voluntarily um, look it into the eye and you have to be willing to speak proper words because with uh, proper language at the, and attention, you can create order out of chaos. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it's genius like to be, um, uh, it's, it's, it's very true, I think, first of all, because like, uh, well, every time we uh, start to hide um, our troubles from ourselves, they get worse usually when we don't look voluntarily them into the eye and the, the voluntary the voluntary confrontation of uh, chaos and evil and uh, the unknown is also something that is very apparent in like uh, psychotherapy. Like uh, one of the main things is like, for example, if anyone has any phobias, then what the psychologist tries to do is he, he or she will try the patient to tackle his or her fears voluntarily bit by bit. For example, if someone is afraid of elevators or closed spaces, then at first the therapist shows uh, the patient a picture of an elevator, for example. And uh, at first it's my, it might be scary to look away and, and eventually they will stand in front of an elevator. And then at one point the therapist will ask, all right, you can maybe put your head in the elevator for a moment. And like it's step by step and it's the voluntary confrontation of chaos in that sense because like for the patient the elevator means death it's the archetypal represent representation for uh, him or her when he has the phobia phobia of elevators it's the it's he's tackling and looking into the eyes of chaos and death itself and it's the because like completely different um uh circuits in our psyche will start to operate if if we tackle the things that we are most afraid of voluntarily or if those things find um, uh, us by themselves then like on first occasion it's the, like the planning and you you are not in that um, flight or fright mode but you are like able to rationalize and you are able to be aware of the experience but if if the chaos finds you or the things that you are most afraid of find you themselves then it's it, it's much worse and it can get way way more worse than that so yeah like um all of those creation stories and actually most of the things we've talked about today i think uh is the importance of uh, awareness and self-responsibility that we have to look um uh, into like chaos and to die and even if it's uh, in our own psyches we have to do it voluntarily, of course. Um, look into, we, did you say, look, we have to be able to look into chaos and die? 
hey, no, no, into the eye. No, no, no. We, okay, we, into the yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah. In the eye. Yeah, yeah. Eye. Yeah, we're we're no, we're we're not doing that to die. Um, we're doing that to live. Um, well, I'm not opposed to that. I think that you know, for me, it seems like I have had to be willing to allow identifications of self to oh. die. Sure. You know, in order to to continue to emerge, to shed a skin of identity or a stack of of letters or words that I used to define myself with, I sure. like the thing about magic. The guy uh, Mardok, who who would use magic words, like because it's beyond being able to be precise in your communication. It's and it isn't just the the eloquence with which you speak or or how charismatic you are, but it's maybe just communication in general beyond verbosity, beyond vocabulary. It's the silence that you use, or it's the it's the bringing the person to the elevator instead of telling him to go, or yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking that, you know, those magic words, there's so much in communication, which is beyond just using words that, that help us understand ourselves and each other in the world. And understanding yeah. for me, like that's, that's the rabbit hole I'm, I'm going down is, is understanding as much mm -hmm. as I can understand. I want to understand more and more. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which also yeah. means being willing to, to let go when we are, I want to go back to the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And like, um, if like animals that don't have any, uh, knowledge of good or evil would be useless, but the example of pain as like a, a good delineator of you know this is something which we can feel and directly instinctually know this is bad or evil or whatever on that on that relative scale of, of good or evil um animals will feel that too and they'll learn they'll adjust their behavior accordingly and perhaps if we can i'm reminded of like some some thoughts and that you find in taoism of having an appreciation for the relative the relativity of values and and that's enough like you can't be ignorant of it it's not to be ignorant of it uh but it is not neither to be um totally led by it but rather to be aware of it and not to get stuck by it just to be aware that there is there is a relative scale of of things that are good or evil good or bad um harmful or helpful and yeah. how how we look at it, how we understand it, what our perspective is, is you know makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And some things can that you... may seem bad might be good, and some things that might seem good can be bad. Yeah, well, the main purpose of those uh, value structures is you can use them to your benefit. You can mm -hmm. like um, one of the things that has been discovered uh, in in I think in psych psychotherapy in general is that basically like there are many different schools of thought in psychotherapy and many different approaches one can take especially like when treating a patient like I've, i'm not a psychologist myself i've just like read a lot into it and i'm i'm working as a social pedagogue so i have some basic psychological knowledge and uh, and some counseling knowledge but basically like the any kind of uh, um, st structure that is predicated on a concrete belief system um, that is uh, being like that has been proved as beneficial or that's been used by other people can be beneficial 
to you too. Like there are many different uh, structures to use and uh, like as there are many different approaches in psychotherapy. Um, uh, but what has discovered was that any type of structure helps to bring you out of the chaos. Like when, um, and it, it's actually the magic of it. Like when you find yourself uh, steeped in chaos, then any structure will get you out of it basically. Well, of course, like some yeah. will work better and some might not. You know, you have to feed it out yourself, uh, find what works for you. Uh, but yeah, any any type of structure will will get you there, and uh, you can create it yourself. Uh, one of the things that, like, when when anyone discovers him or herself in, in 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 chaos, then one of the very important things to do is to set up a routine. That's the first structure already. Just like plan your day and fill it with some activities that help you, like specific time for physical activity, specific time for journaling specific time for self-compassion um, and plan out your week by that and this is a structure that is already good enough that will definitely uh, improve your life and uh, and uh, yeah and if you have kind of regained some of the balance um, and if you are now trying to look for a bigger purpose then what you can do is you can ask yourself all right what what is in my immediate surrounding that I can fix like maybe it's it's yeah. a room that you can clean or maybe it's uh, it's uh, like anything your your subconscious will, will give you an answer if you ask it. Um, and then like you can go from there. But like this, I think this, like this, as we discussed in the beginning as well, like this world is so, so complex and it has so many things to, yeah. to like if, if you don't have the value structure or the structure in which you operate in place, then you will get lost. You don't know where to go, but this structure kind of gives you a map and any structure is good when you're when you're in chaos um well obviously not any like before if, if you are going to follow like a nihilistic like life has no meaning then that not, does not help you in any way um but even yeah, that like, you know th that reminds me there's a show by ricky gervais called the afterlife i thought it was quite good it's on netflix yeah. you've seen it so someone yeah. um is challenging him on his belief in god and morality and they, they pose the question, well, you know, if there is no God, if there's no set morality, why don't you go around like uh, murdering and, and, you know, killing people as much as you want? And, and Ricky Gervais's character says, well, I do, which is none. Like, I don't want to do those things. And there's, there's some, some implicit, you know, uh, structure that, that we can adhere to even I hope even as a nihilist, I, I, I know plenty of great, you know, like good hearted atheists and maybe they're more agnostic than atheists. I mean, to have a determined position on a, a negative seems like an impossibility or something, but um, you know, there, there's something implicit already, but yeah, anything to, if you're in a state of chaos, which was a great example from this story of uh, the Mesopotamian creation story, you know, the, chaos is what had you said you gave a great like succinct definition of chaos but when oh, you, you can you've um, the structure basically, of civilization pay, pay attention to chaos malevolence look it into the eye confront it voluntarily and speak wisely do you mean that uh, like no but that that's the next thing but just what chaos is which is like just the absence of structure or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah well chaos yeah. like in in those stories it's uh it's the it's the unknown um it's the it's everything outside of the city borders 
in our personal lives, it can be when, like, when we get fired, when we get sick, uh, when uh, we are being cheated on, anything like that, anything that it's that happens suddenly, maybe and, and outside even, of your control, or well, exactly. perhaps there's yeah. been an influence, it, but yeah. But the thing is that it can be outside of your control, but it can also be sure. that you have been willfully blind, and right. that's one of the very important things to to take from the podcast and also from the Mesopotamian creation stories to not be will, willfully blind that's the thing that why Marduk had eyes all around his head that you will you will like yeah sometimes things happen without our total without any of our uh, our control and then we are 12 suddenly into deep chaos and then it's the same thing that we have to well, we will usually get out of it, but at first it's very, very awful. But oftentimes as well, what happens uh, is that we are willfully blind and we know that things are going bad, Like, but we just don't pay attention to those things. And suddenly, yeah, chaos erupts and uh, and uh, you are being dragged into the belly of the beast. But like usually the what at least what the myths say and uh, and all of the stories we follow that... Uh, that uh, yeah in our lives it's not like our fault when we sometimes find ourselves in the belly of the beast and it's rather it's a necessary step for our personal development like i've been down there and every time i've uh, come up again i feel stronger um more myself more compassionate um more confident it and also like what, what you mentioned before was the uh, when we spoke about like death, like every time I've been in the belly of the beast, a part of me has died. Mm -hmm. Because when I come back there, I'm not the same as I was before, but I would not say that anything's missing. Um, I, I felt more clear, um, more myself. And, uh, and it's, um, it's definitely um, something that might really be difficult to do, but it's something that... Uh, if you do it properly, you can uh, you can really um, like rise from it as a phoenix does. I think. I agree, and sometimes we can have the courage to choose those difficult passages deliberately, but oftentimes they are thrust upon us um, unwillingly, and they you know they may be a place that we would never have chosen to go, but afterwards we get the perspective to say, "Gosh." that was maybe one of the best worst things that has ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. True. I agree. I'm so to tell, we'll, we'll let you go soon. Go on your walk. Um, thank you so much for this, but talk a little bit. I'll have a description uh, in the, in the description, um, but talk a little bit about what you do and how you apply this vast and deep uh, wealth of, of, wisdom knowledge that you have i mean it's applied knowledge which helps it to to transform into you know your own personal wisdom which then has the power to and you know and it's not even yours like you've picked it up and you've taken it on yourself and and you then are allowed are enabled to sort of transmute it to to others that you're in contact with so talk a little bit about what you do uh yeah um well, currently I work as a teacher and as a social pedagogue. Social pedagogue is um, is a position where you have to solve any type of social problems, and 
the the specter of the work that I can do is pretty broad. Basically, I work with youngsters. That's the most that's most of my effort goes to working with youngsters and supporting them, especially during those um, days that we have now, uh, where where there is a lot of uncertainty and um, and uh, I I counsel um, people. Um, and well, all of the things that we have discussed about today, like, is, yeah, it's definitely part of my life philosophy and I practice what I preach. I would not talk about any of those things if I would not have tested those things on myself as well. Um, well, and when I'm, when I'm working with uh, youngsters, like we, we talked about acceptance uh, before and how, uh, when you, don't blame yourself for the things you go through, how it's easier for you to process them. That's one of the main tenets that I follow when I work with individuals, with youngsters, because many, quite often they come to me with, uh, with their whole bundle of problems and, uh, and the emotions and everything. And they immediately have to step in and like, I can kind of sense what they're going through. And like, in that sense, I'm also actually grateful for the experiences that I have because like I have this visceral knowledge of the pain that they are in and they know that I do and they know that I understand that I have been through it, it myself. And when they step in, I, I kind of emit or like I kind of like transmit this, uh, this acceptance to them because I, like I don't get, like it doesn't scare me. Like, um, uh, and they, they feel it and I, uh, I don't like blame them. And well, basically anyway, this, Every time they come to me and they feel the acceptance that I have myself towards them, um, then already that helps quite a lot. Um, and then I, I use similar things. I, uh, I uh, well, sometimes we just philosophize with them. Um, I often use the counseling skills. It's just like, as I said before, that we, we uh, organize our thoughts uh, when speaking and we outsource a sanity. Like I let them speak a lot. I reflect their messages back to them. Um, I, I, ref I reflect their emotions um, so that they can, uh, um, well, that they can clear their minds already by doing that. Then we usually set a certain structure. I give uh, some tips and exercises to do on their own. I help them to um, set a concrete structure that can help them. We also often, like one of the main exercises that I've even actually given, or like it's something that I've given a few times, it's uh, the gratitude exercise and it's very powerful. Like, um, and it's also the easiest thing um, to do in, I like even, even in my current state, because like um, I am recovering and it used to be very easy for me to be grateful. Um, now, nowadays, not so much. I kind of have to look, uh, but even a few nights ago, like before I went to sleep, and it's the same thing that I uh, recommend to youngsters who are in uh, deep emotional turmoil, in addition to creating a structure, because when, when you're in this chaos, what you need to do is you need to set a plan and you need to tackle the chaos and you need to get a pen and a paper and you need to write the things down that you need to do. Like, because usually the chaos is that uh, like they, um, they, uh, I'm, like I counsel them in relation to yeah their emotions, but also like uh, in a school environment. So quite often the the turmoil that they feel in their life is comes from in some sense from um, 
all of the responsibilities they have and uh, and it's like comorbidity like many many small things at once that they just don't know how to handle with and that's because the problem is too abstract so i helped them to uh make the problem more concrete and we write it down and we set the plan and the structure and they feel safe in that structure and and when when they've set this abstract fear into a concrete structure then they will see that it's it's something that they can uh, battle with and it's something it's a dragon that they can beat and then gives them like, like these um, good experiences or this motivation um, and it gives them happiness because like uh, or fulfillment um, it's not that easy to chase happiness but it's quite easier to chase fulfillment and the way dopamine basically works in your brain is as soon as you set yourself on concrete aim and as you start moving towards your your aim that's when you are happy that's mm -hmm. when you get dopamine mm -hmm. and that's uh, uh, also like something anyone can do when he's in chaos to set like a small aim and write it down like today for example like uh, in the morning you wake up you your general aim is that you want to improve your life and then you can set like three sub points for example i will clean my room I will go for a walk and I will drink two liters of water today. And as soon as you've done one of those, you, uh, you like tick it. Um, this gives you a, yeah, yeah, exactly. This experience, like you will get dopamine out of it and you, you feel that, oh shit, I can do those things that, I, well, I can, I can, I have some control over my life. Um, so yeah, basically like when I work with, uh, people, yeah, it's the same with, uh, when I work with parents, I, I help them to, first of all, I listen to them. I help them to conceptualize the things that they are going through. I offer some sort of, uh, um, some sort of a structure to follow. Um, I give some general tips. Um, the gratitude thing is something that I recommend uh, often, which is that every evening you think of at least three, three, three things that you are able to be grateful for, or three good things that happened during the day. And this is also something very good that that uh, tackles those excessive negative thoughts. Um, and yeah, I've, I, I've kind of been on this um, trail of self-discovery for, I don't know, maybe 10 years now. Because um, um, uh, like that, I know that I knew that depression runs in my family and I've always been very, very curious about, uh, about um, people and, um, the way they behave and why they cause harm to one another. Um, like every time I've, uh, well, when I was in uh, in um, basic school, there was one period where I was pretty intensely bullied, and and uh, every time I I was being uh, uh, targeted by them, like it it uh, I didn't understand it in a sense that like they they uh, try to like um they try to show themselves as sure of themselves like they try to um mm. emit this uh image of confidence but at the same time i felt that that's definitely not the case it was so weird for me like 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 it it felt to me that they are in steeped in deep pain and that's why they do it and then i've kind of like i've felt sorry for them and uh, it was very very confusing time for me 
And that's, that was, I think, also one of the things that made me, um, first of all, doubt the things that I see um, and uh, also to look more deeply uh, into our motivations and why we do um, things that we do. What do you mean by doubt the things that you see? Well, in that in that condition of being exactly like and when, having when, when compassion, someone, when someone like I've met bullies in my later life as well, um, not not to I have not been targeted specifically, but I've just met them, and they all have this this general mode of being, like where they kind of try to show themselves as like tough. Mm-hmm. But every time I see, like it's not tough, it's weak. Like mm-hmm. there is this this serious lack of something yeah. and this was like uh, something that just garnered my interest like all right all right so they have that all right but how can i help them um i've yeah like uh, i've been in situations where um where um uh where i've been able to calm situations down by just being compassionate like once when i was living in england i was living in a household where well, I I was not that interested in those activities myself, but my housemates basically every every Friday evening they started to do cocaine and then they started to fight with each other. <laughs> and then, like this was this was a recurring theme. Uh, I was in my room because I had a purpose of being there. Yeah, exactly. Like the purpose of being there did not let uh, the the activities that were going on around in my house really um, mess with my mood because I was. Like I knew that, all right, this is a temporary, I will not be here for longer. Like if now, like in, in the room next to me, people were doing cocaine and fighting, that would bother me. But during time it didn't because it, it didn't matter. I had a purpose and they were do, doing their own thing. But basically, like I remember one evening when actually with the guy I shared a room with, he was actually a nice dude. He was, he was like a really, well, he was this buffed up, this like he had some steroids and stuff. And he was like really this like turd of a man in, in that sense. But like he had a very kind heart, and uh, and I was able to like uh, we were able to connect on a very deep level. I think eventually, um, and uh, we really like we would never ever be friends out, outside of that situation because we were such a different people. But we respected each other. I respected him. He respected me. Sometimes I meditated in my room, and uh, well, it was his room as well. Uh, so it was at first it was super super confused like hey what is it that you are doing exactly then i described him like this is the process where i kind of sit down and be with myself and basically at one evening when they were doing cocaine downstairs again and uh, then i i uh, i heard that he kind of lost his mind and he started to throw some stuff around and he was like super violent and then like i felt a genuine compassion towards him and i went downstairs and i just looked at him and like he had a chair in his hand and immediately when he looked at me, uh, he saw me looking at him, he put the chair down and he started to cry and he said, hey, no, I'm not a bad boy. Yeah, this compassion yeah. kind of helps. Um, yeah. And like when it helps with others who are in this emotional um, um, fit, then I think it also helps with ourselves like really if we are really able to show ourselves this compassion but it's it's tricky it's a bit more trickier to show it to ourselves um so but it takes practice yeah i went i went off the rails again uh basically like in my work then i will use compassion that's one of the main things i uh, 
don't only use it, but I genuinely feel compassionate because I understand that the underlying cause of uh, any peculiar behavior mostly is pain. Um, then it's very easy to be compassionate. I create the structure to help people to create order then out of the chaos. We set small uh, goals, he moves towards them, then the goals can become bigger and bigger. And if the person starts to move towards his or her goals anyway, at one point he, will, he or she will see um, some extra things that may, might interest the person and then the person will set his own goals. Up, um, and uh, yeah, um, and what else? And at the same time, I always, I try to work with myself as well because like, uh, it's not that I am, I'm always as I am, you know, I'm always the person that I am here. Like I talk to them exactly the same way as I talk with you, as I talk with anyone else. Um, and uh, this is also something that helps me to connect with uh, with uh, youngsters or with uh, grown-ups that I work with because I I don't change my change my tone even when I'm talking to um, I don't know these like third graders I don't use this baby tone with them I yeah of course I don't use that specific difficult words but I still um, talk to them respectfully as people and they really they really uh, respond to that. Um, and that's, yeah, that's uh, the respect and compassion um, when we use it in our day-to-day -day communications with anyone, people really, really respond to it. Uh, but for us to be in that state that we are able to offer genuine compassion, it's that we first have to point our attention towards ourselves and offer it to ourselves. Because we cannot be um, a source of strength if we ourselves are empty and we can fill ourselves up by uh, giving us some attention, um, thinking about how could we uh, support ourselves throughout the day, eating healthily, sleeping enough, uh, inquiring into um, um, us, like what would be the creative activity to do, because creati creativity is also super important. Uh, and it also is something that definitely helps to tackle the chaos. It helps to deal with emotions. For my creative medium is music. I listen to it or I sing. And this is something also that every time I've done it, like I feel much, much better. Um, so yeah, like set the structure, be creative and practice compassion. Cool. Let's, uh, let's land this plane at the moment. Um, I would ask that uh, you, I, I've done an abysmal job at being a, a, a sort of a hub of sharing resources, which was part of the original intent of this, to, to be able to point out all sorts of different resources, people, books, etc. Um, I've talked a lot about Eckhart Tolle. You've mentioned him here, but I know that you... Uh, yeah, yeah. I many. know of a lot of good resources. If you want to yeah. send me whatever kind of list you want, I'll put it in the description so that people that are uh -huh. interested can do that. I can, they can follow. I can up. also maybe talk about some of them at the, uh, here at the moment or. Yeah, go ahead, man. Totally. I've yeah. got all the time. Go ahead. Well, um, uh, one of the, uh, I was, I will also name a couple M Scott Peck. Uh, was one of the one psychologist from the states. I think he died in in the late nineties. He wrote the book "The Road Less Traveled." Mm. Definitely, I would recommend. Um, 
Then Marcus Aurelius, um, Meditations. Also, he died, right? Very, very, huh? He died, right? <laughs> yeah, Marcus Aurelius, sorry. Yeah, you turned me on to him, man. Uh, thanks for that. I I heard about him, but until we, I don't know, it was a year ago or something that you talked about, you were actively following him. Um, that got me interested in him. And yeah, that's, that's uh, really cool. So Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. Existentialism also, uh, existentialist philosophy. Um, this is something that really, uh, uh, well, the philosoph well, existentialist philosophy is basically taking responsibility and reading those kind of books. Uh, they're not that difficult and they might inspire uh, taking responsibility. Uh, from spiritual side, um, yeah, Eckhart Tolle is awesome, I think, in, in, especially in some ways. And uh, yeah, maybe like with, with me, with most of the authors that I've uh, read or um, watched videos of, or, like I usually take something that works for me and leave the rest. And this is a use, useful way to approach, uh, approach these authors that just take things that work with you and uh, and leave the rest and create your own structure but create a structure uh jordan peterson definitely jordan peterson um maps of meaning an excellent book difficult to read um 12 rules for life i would recommend that one and he recently published another one 12 more 12 more rules of life uh for life i think um yeah the first one was 12 rules for life antidote for chaos and the one he published recently was 12 more rules for life beyond order. Yeah. Um, both of these books are excellent. Um, also his videos, I, I, I really, I really enjoy. Matt Kahn, an excellent teacher of self-compassion. Um, he has also written three books. Uh, the first book he wrote was Whatever Arises, Love That. Uh, yeah. Like um, that's uh, basically the whole book can be uh, conceptualized with only the title of the book, but basically yeah, whatever arises, love that. So whatever emotion rises in your body, give it some, give it some compassionate awareness. Matt Khan also advocates that you don't really have to like something to love it. So, uh, and he also uh, talks about, great. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he also talks about the importance of giving yourself compliments, like noticing things you do good, do well, in your day and just complimenting yourself on that because it helps to create these new neural pathways. Uh, also, um, uh, this book, Kamal, Kamal Ravikant, a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Uh, he's a, is that translated like, in English? Yeah, it is. Uh, cool. it, it's from, actually, it's, it's from the States. Uh, uh -huh. He works in Silicon Valley. He's an entrepreneur. Um, he had his breakdown some years ago and then he wrote the short, like uh, he dug himself out of the complete chaos by loving himself. Very straightforward. Uh, first, he wrote an essay to his friends of um, the practices that he used. His friends uh, um, encouraged, him to, uh, encouraged him to release the book. And now he has also released um, like a book uh, with the same name that has some additional info in it. So Kamal Ravikant, Kamal Ravikant is the name and the book uh, is titled Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Um, yeah, this is also like, it's just an inspiring book on, on the subject of self-love. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, yep. 
I guess I guess that's that for now. If I if I remember anything, I will uh, write to you. Cool. I'll look them up and and include them in the description. If you have anything else, definitely share it. Yeah. When you first tell told me about that, uh, love, love yourself like as if your life depended on it. I thought it was an Estonian author, um, mm. for whatever reason. Yeah, so, but yeah, I, I recommend right. it. Like it's uh, mm. he's going very straightforward. Like, uh, well, yeah, he has like specific exercises and affirmations, and uh, also like using affirmations. I think is a rather good idea if. Uh, affirmations you use you believe and they work more effectively and uh, it's a cool scavenger hunt you can do uh, towards yourself to find those things that you might like about yourself and then affirm those at first like i like my eye color or i like i don't know um the way i talk to others or i like um i like that i appreciate the day like it can be easy um and then you can move on from there but uh, this yeah, all right. This is also it's it's written about in in um, many of the books that I that I brought up here. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. And you read Ishmael, yeah? Daniel Quinn no. Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that must have been someone else. I I mentioned that yesterday. Uh, the levers and the takers is a concept of um, as uh, civilization evolved, they were people that uh, were still living sort of in harmony with the, with the environment around them, uh, you know, not sort of exceeding their, their needs um, or their means. And, uh, and then there are those that were, and those are called the leavers. And then there's the other group that were called the takers who were continuing to expand. And when they would encounter a group of leavers, they would challenge them and either defeat them and destroy them or incorporate them and, you know, thereby like change them also into takers and grow and grow and grow that society. Uh, That's a book that I would totally recommend. Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Uh, It had been recommended reading in a course in anthropology at the university that I didn't take, but I I was interested in those sorts of books that were um, on on various syllabus of classes Mm -hmm. that I may be interested in, and I'm so glad I read it. Um, It's uh, a work of fiction, but it's embedded with all sorts of truths of sort of uh, a fun vehicle to understand how civilization sort of evolved over time. There's three books in the series, but that, that's a really good one. And also I'd mm. say the four agreements, but holy shit, I should probably have a book list uh, attached to this at some point too, because there's a lot that you get. It's not direct experience, which is something that I think is first and foremost, like you said, you, you, you practice what you preach, you walk your talk. Um, and that's what makes it real for the, the kids or people, anyone in, in no one in particular that you engage with. It makes it real and authentic because you walk your talk. Direct experiences first, but boy, in books, you get, you know, you get information that you can choose to integrate into your life and, and then it becomes your direct experience. And there's so many good resources like that. So I'll, I'll include a list somewhere too. Inar, thank you very much. I'm so glad we got you in season one still. You've been in this with me from before it was even a thing. We've had different projects that we've been looking at working on together for quite a while, almost since we met. Um, I think that something will still happen down the road. Um, Me too, man. Yeah, so that's cool. All right. Love you, man. Love you too. Have a great walk today. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye for now.